Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, your pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. It's been a while since we've been on, and while we've been out, a lot has happened in the medical world. So I do believe, Santosh, it is time for everybody's favorite segment, Journal Club! Yay! And we used to use like a, an airplane <laughs> no, metaphor didn't. for this entire podcast. And so it's all... Hey, hey. <laughs> Travel tips will be coming back this week. That's true. That's true. Santosh, yeah. I believe you rounded up all the articles. So what is the theme or is there a coherent idea behind what you found? I'm an infectious disease doctor. <laughs> gonna, it's going to be all about infections. So what a twist. Yeah. <laughs> I actually don't know how to tie it all together. We've got some cool stuff about mycobacterium tuberculosis or TB. Got a little bit of a, a middle part where we talk about how the gut talks to the brain. I'm going to talk to you guys about kind of a scary disease. Yeah. So the first one was actually a beautiful report coming out of the United Kingdom along with collaborators in Spain and the Francis Crick Institute. Mycobacterium tuberculosis, of course, has all these virulence factors, right? So you have a bacteria, and it's trying to invade you, right, Josh? And it secretes toxins, and it... It does things to slow down your immunity and it does things to like melt some of your tissues so it can invade in and eat, you know, the, the byproducts of that breakdown and all this kind of cool stuff. <laughs> well, one of the virulence that uh, TB has is something called a protein tyrosine phosphatase B, 
or MPTPB. Which I have to say is a terrible name, but a amazingly fun series of initials to say. Oh no, I've been targeted by MPTPB. It sounds like a cute little robot. <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it does. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, Star Wars has BB-8 and then we have like MPTPB. Although this is bad because it'll, you know, make your lungs bleed and kill you. But moving on. <laughs> right. But aside from the lung melting, adorable. Yes. <laughs> So the neat thing that this particular phosphatase does is it's secreted out from the bacterium. And as a macrophage or a monocyte, you know, one of the eating cells, like tries to eat up and destroy the TB, this little molecule, this phosphatase enzyme, uh, actually subverts the antimicrobial activity right there in the host. It basically provides cloaking for the tuberculosis infection. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the the cell, you know, the mycobacterium tuberculosis hides within a cell and then it tries to like make a little home in there. Do you remember like in Men in Black, K, he's standing in front of the big cockroach and he's going, eat me, eat me, you know, and he's yelling. So this is what the TB actually does. It's trying to get eaten by a phagocytic cell, but then it has all these virulence factors. One of them is MPTPB that it secretes so that once the bacterium is surrounded, the cell can't break down the, the bacteria, which it usually does by like, you know, there. fusing it with something else called a lysosome and kind of like blasting it with, you know, chemicals and peptides to TB is just like K where he's going in, but so, he's just going yeah, to get his gun. Into cell. Once there, it emits all these factors that allow it to hide from the immune system. So it doesn't recognize the patrols out and looking. Exactly. So usually what that phagocytic cell would like to do is break down TB and then present it. That's called antigen presenting to something like a T cell. And the T cell can then turn on the immune system and say, aha, any, if you see anything that looks like the, the corpse of this, you know, tuberculous bacillus, kill it. But if it can hide right within that phagocyte, then that phagocyte just kind of wanders around like an idiot. It's like, oh, I ate something, but I don't know what I ate. Yeah, that's, a, that's my impression of a stupid phagocyte. <laughs> but it's not its fault because it's being dumbed down by MPTPB. So when we give antibiotics, right, we're trying to target the thing that helps the bacteria live. So we break down its cell wall or we stop... It's, you know, protein production, or we attack its DNA, all these kind of different things. But it turns out that you can actually, instead of going after the bacteria itself, you can go after one of these virulence factors. You can go after MPTPB with a specific inhibitor, so a phosphatase inhibitor. And here's the neat thing. So as we give antibiotics, you know, you're attacking the bacteria head on. Well, this provides evolutionary pressure or selective pressure, meaning that, you know, the bacteria that survive the antibiotic onslaught will have some change to its, you know, basic cellular structure or physiology that will allow it to become, to be resistant you know, to the antibiotics, you know, the second time. But in this case, you're not, you know, you're not hitting the bacteria head on, you know, by, by threatening its life directly, you're just taking away a virulence factor. And that's much harder 
for a population of bacteria to adapt to because the selective pressure is not as high. We have found a way to subvert resistance potentially. Which is pretty impressive considering it takes four drugs concurrently to treat this bug. So very interesting. We'll see how that pans out. And I look forward to seeing what the trade name becomes for MPTPD. <laughs> Inhibitor. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's all kinds of cool, you know, biochemistry. We'll we'll put the source paper in the, the biochemistry uh, in the show notes. Uh, the next one also involves tuberculosis, kind of in a very roundabout way. And you know like segways, you know, there's we're, we're as good at segways as scientists are at naming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are. We're we're kind of going from, you know, how to kill TB to using a tuberculosis vaccine for something that it was never meant to do. But something good. This isn't like one of those. (laughs) 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 It's October. People are watching a lot of movies where things are being used in a way they were never intended, typically to unexpected and tragic <laughs> <Yes>. results. <laughs> that's that's true. This was actually a very delightful result, and it was a fantastic paper. I, I don't mean to. So let's talk about how a tuberculosis vaccine may have created a brand new way to treat, and let's put the media news spin on it, treat and even reverse or cure diabetes? Find out at 10. And by 10, we mean the next 10 seconds. Wait for it. Okay, so uh, this is from the uh, Faustman lab, Denise L. Faustman, who is at Mass General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Um, absolutely love those guys. Fantastic researchers. Was They looked was like, at a vaccine name. for tuberculosis, which is used worldwide. So it's called BCG, uh, French, Josh, Basile Calmette Guérin. Because it presumably <laughs> it calmed the Guérins. <laughs> Terrible. No, no. So it's the Bacillus. So it is a tuberculosis, like a little cousin type of thing. And the strain was called Calmette Guérin or Guérin, I think, depending on. And what you do is you can give this vaccine to people who are in tuberculosis endemic regions and reduce their chances of getting severe so, uh, tuberculosis. The interesting instead of replacing insulin or really having anything to do with the insulin system, it forces your body to just go ahead and start breaking down glucose in a very different way, which makes much mm-hmm. more use of it. Yeah, this is super, super cool. So um, I want you guys to know that this you know, the the BCG technique, injecting BCG, which is a safe vaccine that can be given to all sorts of people as long as their immune system is okay. The ideal population was this was for people who had advanced type 1 diabetes. But in fact, you can give this to anyone who has hyperglycemia, who has sugars that are too high. So for instance, just like type 2 diabetics, uh, or people who have Cushing syndrome um, from uh, too much cortisol in their blood. 
Um, you know, they might also have uh, high blood sugars. Which is a steroid, cortisol is a steroid-like hormone. So it makes you puff up taken over long enough periods of time or look cushy, which is definitely not the reason it's called Cushing's disease, but does make it to remember. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein. Do you suppose like Dr. Cushing was quite cushy? So. <laughs> Like, you know, it's like, oh, I have discovered this disorder. Thanks, Dr. Cushy. That's Cushing. He's <laughs> just, he has to just live with it. <laughs> the neat thing here was you give BCG and you give it in, in two doses. And then uh, they follow these patients out to three years, out to five years and what happened was the rates of glycolysis, which is the primary breakdown of glucose, the system got kind of revved up. So the glucose got broke down, used for ATP, and there wasn't as much glucose uh, sitting around in the blood. Researchers followed the patient's hemoglobin A1C. Hemoglobin is the stuff that carries our oxygen around, you know, it's, it's in our red blood cells. And if it gets glycosylated, meaning there's so much sugar in the blood, some of it actually sticks to the hemoglobin, you can calculate that as a percentage. It's called hemoglobin but much A1C. like any good pharmaceutical and they actually product. Watched, if- and they actually watched these diabetics, they watched the hemoglobin A1C drop when they had received two doses of BCG and maintained a drop over the next five years. But much like any good pharmaceutical product, if people were not getting at least somewhat regular doses, uh, the effect did reverse and resume its regular direction. Right. So I think more so than you know, the the uh, discovery that BCG, you know, can affect glycolysis this way, and that we can lower hemoglobin A1c and get people's sugar under control using BCG. Um, the much cooler finding was that you can kind of get around the whole insulin problem, you know, by affecting our metabolism directly, and it's almost- you know, by kind of provoking one type of metabolic pathway to kind of rev up. And it's almost, I don't want to say universal, but it's pretty widely made use of in India, correct, Santosh? Oh, yeah. Anywhere where tuberculosis is endemic. So, in fact, the United States, Canada, you know, places where it have little TB, we're kind of in the minority of the world. So this is, you know, a large population of people have been studied for the safety of this vaccine. And this is, for those of you worried, by and large, how old is somebody who has received this for the first time. Oh, the babies. So <laughs> so you can give it uh at a at quite a young age, you know, say that uh a person was born and they were born in a tuberculosis endemic area. Um you know, they can be they can be given BCG somewhere in the first few years of life. But what about all those chubby babies? <laughs> Little diabetic babies. And they're no longer going to be chubby. And you're just going to have these tiny, like, supermodel pinched cheeks. <laughs> no, no, that's not how any of this works. What is the matter with you? 
Well, I mean, I'm just trying to think what the next big conspiracy could be, because autism is already protect you from TB and take away all your baby fat. (laughs) Santos, have you ever told somebody you were certain of something? Uh, not oh sure, yeah, yeah. It's shadow of a doubt, but you had maybe you know, a so gut it's got to be something. Yeah, I try to stay away from that, you know, nowadays because my guts are just full of like crazy bacteria. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> Actually, it's a universal human problem, or, or a solution, depending on who you talk to. But for those of you who have, <laughs> for those of you who have had gut feelings, uh, the use of that phrase may be more accurate than you think. Because it turns out recent science studies have just, and that's multiple. This isn't just one journal article. This is two in one. where We discovered that your gut is directly connected to your brain by a newly discovered neuron circuit. So we weren't aware that these kinds of cells interacted like this before today. So, Santos, tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, we had suspected for a really long time uh, that the, you know, the brain, of course, speaks to the gut. We have pathways that we know about where there are kind of unconscious signals that tell the intestines, okay, you can move a little faster, you can go a little slower. Um, You know, if anybody has felt a rush of fear and you actually feel it in your gut, um, this is because there are signals going, you know, through your fight or flight response that go to your heart, to your lungs, to your kidneys, and yes, also to your intestines. Um, But Josh, all the way back in 1880, um, there was a guy, Friedrich S. Merkel, predicted in 1880 that sensory systems are composed of, you know, epithelial cells and sensory nerves, and they transform environmental cues. So we we think about the gut as an internal environment, right? You're kind of like a complex donut. Mm, Donuts. Ah. so, So you've got an external environment, which is like everything that you can see, your skin and everything, right? But you've also got a an external environment. I'm using air quotes that podcast listeners can't see because I know how audio works. It's okay. We can hear them. We can also hear capital letters. <laughs> you can think of us human beings and pretty much all beings such as us, you know, as like tubes, you know, we're... That's certainly how the drug companies see us. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Yeah, money comes, you know, drugs go in one end and money comes out the other. There you go, tubes. So, you know, it's actually an external environment that interfaces with our, you know, bloodstream and everything else. You've got those epithelial cells lining the gut and they have to somehow talk back to the brain was this hypothesis. And we started learning about really cool endocrine pathways or enteroendocrine pathways our own gut would send off inflammatory signals and soothing signals like dopamine and epinephrine all these kind of things through the bloodstream that's the ir hungry signal yeah exactly so that you know you you could get things like that or ir full you know or ir cramping because you ate ice cream you lactose intolerant idiot The only food allergy that fights back. (laughs) Shut up and hand me that pizza. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. I will force my body into submission despite paying for it later. Aggression aside, so 
usually bloodstream signaling acts on a little bit of a delay because <laughs> your blood angry, has to just reach like, your yeah, brain I'm, and cross the blood-brain barrier. Yep, this is not instantaneous, to, you know, no matter what you say. You know, we were looking around and saying that like, hey, the gut really is talking to the brain and it seems to be rather fast, you know, not just on an endocrine pace, but on a millisecond type of pace, really, really quick communication, right? The question is, what messages are they sending through this super fast system that we don't know about? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, this isn't some kind of freakish like spy network. Okay, this is just so you're our saying it turned out to be vagal neurons. Now. Come on, <laughs> and you know, you know exactly what that signal is. That signal is, <laughs> I want ice cream. Well, no, well, you, you talked straight it about wanting things poop to poop forever, it. and we learned it thanks to the helpful rabies virus. Th- this is, I was going to say that this is so cool. Listen. I, I, I thank these mice so much, and this is so cool. Rabies virus is the neatest thing in the world, Josh. When you inoculate rabies virus, it actually seeks out the closest nerve and starts to climb up it until it gets to the brain, right? So you can actually chart the pace of this rabies virus going along a nerve. So... What these guys did is they had a fluorescent rabies virus, Josh, a fluorescent rabies virus, and they went ahead and put it in the colons of mice, and they traced the pathway of the rabies virus going from the colon, you know, like the, because they fed it in, like they put, they gave him a rabies enema, Josh. (laughs) Like on the inside of the ass, though, <laughs> like an inner ass bite. Yeah, the, you know, they watched the rabies virus climb through the enteroepithelial cells, so the, the cells that line the gut, which is so it, it, into the enteroepithelial cells, and then found its way climbing up to the brain. And the connection was a enteroendocrine cell, which hooked up to a sensory neuron, which then made its way to the vagus system, which is our parasympathetic nervous system, and feeds back eventually to the brain. Which is a pretty impressive connection to exist. Um, now, the vagus nerve is responsible for what sorts of things, Santosh? Do you recall from your anatomy way back when? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of our parasympathetic response. We have our sympathetic response, fight or flight. You know, kind of go. And then this was the parasympathetic side. It was like, calm down, digest something. Rest and digest. Exactly. So our vagus nerve feeds our heart, and it actually slows down our heart rate when we're not requiring exercise or when we're not afraid. And then it feeds down to the uh, the stomach, and it paces the stomach and says, okay, grind now, digest. And all the way down it to delegates. the intestines and say, okay, it set off the peristaltic waves. So researchers used lasers yeah, okay. to stimulate sensory neurons in the guts of mice, and that produced rewarding sensations that the rodents worked to repeat. <laughs> so they taught mice to do Ooh, tricks to get a laser break. in the belly. Sorry. <laughs> and this laser was found to increase mood-boosting neurotransmitter dopamine. That's the one that's involved in the reward system. So that's why uh, the gut can also send signals of, I want, eat me. (laughs) 
Exactly. It's like, you know, when you have a craving, right? As a, regardless of whether or not it's good for you, you know, you can get a craving. A I think we thing. should beat the news to the punch on this one and help everybody, give everybody a quick scare and then a much easier letdown. Or <laughs> is it? We had this scare 2014, 2016, and now again 2018. It seems to be going on a election cycle type of thing. It seems like we're getting this particular syndrome popping up uh, anywhere August to October, like fall period in time. Um, and it's called acute flaccid myelitis. And all right, let's get it out of your system. Yes, the word flaccid in this in there, but acute sounds more like an ugly flaccid myelitis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it too. Yeah. Um so yeah, there is uh you know there was a scare for polio way back in the 60s and you know thank god you know we came out with the vaccine or thank science I like. mean, that's for the whole um, March you of know, Times. We came up with the vaccine, and you know, the, the Salk vaccine the... came out. And polio, Josh, was really widespread. And it would devastate, you know, on the order of tens of thousands of lives every year. Um, so, yeah, polio was pretty darn prevalent back in the day. And would, uh, absolutely. It, this... it could lead to paralysis. And that yeah, is why President uh, Roosevelt we're talking about was in President a wheelchair. Roosevelt from a bout he recovered yeah, from. So, you know, we poliovirus went around and it's it's in the family of viruses called enteroviruses, um, so-called because it lives in the enteric tract. And that's how it got around, actually, is that, you know, you'd have polio and you'd actually poop it out and it would get into, you know, contaminated water. Somebody else would drink it or it would pass fecal oral, you know, by hands, you know, if you didn't wash properly. That was long, long ago, and we haven't seen any polio around in the United States. But now we're seeing something that looks a lot like polio. It's called acute flaccid myelitis, where all of a sudden, and by and large children here, Josh, lose strength in their arms and in their legs. And sometimes, you know, all four limbs, sometimes just like, just the legs. And it doesn't look like any of the other diseases that we associate with paralysis, like transverse myelitis, for instance, or another one called Guillain-Barre. It's kind of a sudden loss of, you know, the ability to move a limb. And so far, we've had in 22 states total, we've had 62 cases. The CDC is kind of tracking all of these, and we're trying to get serum samples and samples from the cerebrospinal fluid of these patients. Because the ones that went through in 2014 and 2016, there was a possible association with a different enterovirus. In this case, it was called enterovirus D68. But the problem, Josh, was not all these kids who were getting acute flaccid myelitis had And there may be a genetic component in the children as well. You know? so and this isn't just restricted to the United States. We've seen cases in Europe as well. Um, EVD68 is one possible cause. Other enteroviruses like enterovirus 71 were also looked at as a cause. But if this happens, you should contact the CDC, you should talk to your physician, because every piece of information we can get is great. This is still very rare. You know, in 2016, all across the United States, in that fall uh, 
time, we had a total of 149 cases. Okay. So this isn't something that's a horrible epidemic that's, you know, sweeping the nation and correct. So with that, let's move on to something a little lighter hearted. You know, we you know, there's a part of me which is like, oh, you know, every living being, and I'm a Hindu, and, you know, we should embrace all life. no ma- But fuck mosquitoes, I swear to God. All they do is go around sucking blood and killing other things. It's a horrible little bug. We talk about human disease all the time here. So, Josh, I'm talking about, you know, animal disease. We We worry about, you know, livestock. Malaria kills off livestock and and this transmit other things like dengue and chikungunya and Zika. Zika so 2017, Santosh. We're all about mysterious poliomyelitis. It's the new Zika. Get with the times. But in this adorable and helpful headline. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's the new sexy thing. Yeah, (laughs) this is really, really cool because we have, you know, a bunch of different ways to approach how to get rid of malaria. And one of the big ones is getting rid of these you know, the vectors, the the actual malarial mosquitoes. You can go to Kansai.com. You can take a look at our article that we're going to post here in, uh, in Reuters. But essentially, <laughs> Kansai Paint, this company out of Japan, specifically out of Tokyo, uh, did some research and development to see if they could put mosquito-killing stuff uh, into paint, paint. <laughs> putting a mosquito repellent into the paint. We're going to paint the walls with the blood and of the mosquitoes. The walls. No, 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 no. We're going to paint the walls with their chemicals. And and the neat the, the neatest thing about this, Josh, which I think is super cool, is that when you put the chemical in paint, you know, it stays in the paint, you know, it doesn't aerosolize the way that like other, you know, pesticides and stuff do. You know, kind of like lead. Yeah. <laughs> Would you stop it? This stuff is not lead. Uh, It's actually EPA approved. Um, You know, the EPA has looked at it and made sure that... Is this the same EPA that's telling us radiation, a little bit of radiation is good for us? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. This is April 2018, so it is a Trump EPA. Yes. Mosquitoes like to land vertically. If they land on this paint with the chemical, it basically with a giant its like rock size um, snap on contact. Yeah, so it's very quick. Um, snap neurotoxin for the mosquito. <laughs> this is a neurotoxin. <laughs> it's an anti-mosquito neurotoxin. Multiple environmental agencies because this has been approved around Africa, the United States. They actually do have manufacturing facilities in Africa, America, Europe, Middle East. And, uh, you know, they, they said, hey, you know, if you want to try it out, it zaps the mosquitoes, but it should be safe for humans. Yes, even if the paint flakes or something like that. And we, we have it approved here in the United States by the EPA. Take that as you will. And you paint the walls just like you normally would. And uh, if the mosquitoes come in, they land on the walls like sometimes they do, or they touch the walls. And, you know, they absorb some of the toxin and they die. Um, Snap! 
Yeah, exactly. And and they go down. So this coupled with uh, the good things that we're doing, like using uh, DEET-containing mosquito repellents yes, so. uh, and uh, eradicating malaria using antimalarials as well. Um, hopefully it So that's it for this week's Journal Club. That's it for this week. <laughs> As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. <laughs> the show is produced by me with a lot of It's a of fantastic medicine, all of our unless co-hosts. you actually have surgery or antibiotics, then those are better. All our sources <laughs> will be listed in the show notes, oh, along boy. with ways to help support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Rate and review us. It's very welcome, and it helps other people find the show. And until next time, as always... Happy travels. Bye, guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.